Well, Ruben just came back from a week in Paris. Well, four, four nights in Paris. I'm not sure if he had any sleep at all, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> the look, the sort of grey, ashen look on his face when he got back on Friday night, where it was beyond tired. And I thought, I'm not sure you've done any sleeping at all. I mean, oh. Tallulah, I've just bought a ticket, a ticket for Tallulah for Reading next year. That's a big debate. That's so big debate, there's a lot of parental debate around 16-year-olds going to Reading and you whether that should be a, allowed. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm putting a, look at that, I'm putting a red card there. Yeah, I think like, card, I'm, I think I'm, I'm giving that a red card. She's not even 17. But it seems to be that oh. once they finish the GCSEs, that is the done thing. And there's loads of, our, lo- there's loads of other parents, but that, yeah, they're all going. Yes, I know. It, it does seem to be a thing. But it's, and is this staying over camping as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I think that's uh, to be continued, that discussion. Brave parents. Tricky one. Well. Yeah. But, yeah, I've done it. I mean, I went to Glastonbury when I was, I mean, I was 17. But, I don't know. What do you do? You say no, and then all the mates are going. Yes. That's yeah. Job. <laughs> <laughs> you just become bad dad. For a couple yeah. of years, yeah. yeah. No, I, it's a tough one. Um, don't you I remember, the, don't yeah. you remember those, uh, how long ago was it? There was, there was some issues with the youth at Reading one year and all like tents set on fire and stuff. Yeah, that was, probably. That was a few years, a couple of years ago. I mean, Tallulah is, to be fair, she's pretty sensible. other people, though, isn't it? Well, yeah. it's the worry, because one of her mates... The kids. Yeah, one of them. I said to her, "If you if you stay in a tent with her, it wouldn't surprise me if she is a, if she is a you know someone back, you know. And what you're going to be doing? You'll be sitting outside the tent. Yeah, uh, exactly. So I think we should vote now. Vote now. If you think Stu should send his uh, to be seventeen year old daughter to oh, Reading no, Festival it's, 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 next oh. August. <laughs> I'm not sure he wants this published. No one has published. Jesus, it's recording. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is going in at the beginning. This is I, yeah. I yeah. need some beeps of these things. Yeah. Na- names oh and, and places. Yeah, and... <laughs> redact, out, redact. Yeah. Well, since he doesn't listen, it doesn't matter anyway, does it? He'll never know. There you go. Yes, but it's our one listener in in, in India. <laughs> have all the info. <laughs> well, yeah. With this, uh, I should say uh, you are listening to For the Love of Pog, a podcast mainly about cycling, but also about. Uh, children going off to uh, various trips around Europe or the UK. I am here. Hey, uh, hey, hey. Loz is here. Hey. Stu is here. Hey. Andy was was billed, but he's not here. Boom. So uh, I hope all is well. He might turn up. Now, we are looking ahead. We were going to look ahead to the rate of the falling leaves, which is this weekend, and our beloved Pog. And I was going to say, but Andy, you did the ride of the falling leaves, but he ain't here. So, uh, <laughs> so should we imagine what he did uh, the weekend? So. I'm here, but I and I bought a ticket, but didn't do the ride. Oh, right, that's an even better story. So, why yeah. didn't you do the ride? We should probably explain what the ride of the falling leaves is, really, shouldn't we? Uh, local ride organised by Dulwich Paragon. It's very nice. End of the season. Starts off at the Hernhill Velodrome, two routes, uh, pint and food at the end. It's always a very good social occasion. 
It is very good, isn't it? I was thinking, I didn't get a chance to, to ride it. How many times have we done it, Lars? Three or four times, maybe? Yeah, maybe uh, even more. I think it's an absolutely brilliant race. And if I remember rightly, about 20 quid, like you say, organised by Paragon, who I think, don't they claim, have a, some claim to fame? I should probably have known this or have checked it. Uh, the UK's oldest or biggest cycling I think club. It's biggest. One of those. I think it's biggest. Lots and lots of members. Organise a brilliant ride, like you say, uh, two routes. Uh, uh, include lots of the really good uh, tough climbs in Kent North Kent and uh, always ends at one of the the sports clubs so it starts at the velodrome and ends up at one of the sports clubs in Dulwich or Hearn Hill and you get a fantastic meal a fantastic meal and a pint don't you and the whole thing's about 20 quid it's probably 15 quid worth of food <laughs> and it's always just a really really good a good ride so uh yeah, it's and it's called the Race of the Falling Leaves, obviously, because it's normally around the same time as uh, Il Lombardia, the, the Race of the Falling Leaves. Shouldn't yeah. they don't put it on the same time? They could have it on the telly box in the pub. I think um, it has been. I think it has been um, certain years. Yeah. No, I didn't do it. I uh, I entered fully, fully, obviously not fully committed. I was committed. Uh, but then life, got, life, life things got in the way. Stu, did you sign up? Did you sign up for a bike ride and not do it the weekend? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Did you even no. think about signing up <laughs> for a bike ride? No. <laughs> bike, bike, biking things were not on the at all on the menu. The closest thing I got to biking this weekend was Emma's asking me to get her bike out of the shed. You know Ooh. the uh, the lockup in the front garden, the Asgard storage. That's the closest no, it, thing. This is this is approaching autumn, sort of winter, and she she's. Wanting the bike out of the shed is this, you know. It's good. All summer, could have got, could have got it out. But... Well, I mean, yeah, she's had it out during the summer too. But right, okay. what I'm saying is that's the closest bit of bike action I've got. I was away this weekend and I used my car. Oh, my God. The first time I've driven a car, hey, you like this, probably in over two months. That's very impressive. Yeah. Was that a del- deliberate thing? Yeah, but have you not been have you deliberately not using the car for two months? Well, yeah, don't try not to use the car at all, you know, because of those short journeys, polluting, yada yada, all that stuff. You know. Use the bike, use the bus, use the train, the tube as much as possible. But also I am lobbying in the house to get rid of the car. Wow. And how and just just talk me through that. Yeah, how how big. when you how do, how did you float that idea? You know, did you sort of sort of as the kids were going to bed or something talk talk me through that. Well, it's kind of happened organically because we have to get rid of our car anyway or our car is not ULAS compliant. So, I found out today we can scrap it. As in I you know, I've applied for it and the 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 yay, yes, go for it, scrap it's come in. And I said to Emma, we don't need the car live in London, we've got bikes, we've got a bus stop at the end of the road, we've got a tube six minutes walk away. You know, we don't live in Wales or the Outer Hebrides, whatever. We get food order delivered by Sainsbury's or I nip out and walk out to the market, whatever, the local shops. We hardly ever use the car. And, you know, if we do need to go to Wales or whatever, we can just hire a car. So I'm proposing this idea. It's not gone down very well with Emma. Totally with you. And I try, try my damnedest not to do the local drives, but sometimes there is just a little club drop-off thing where you've just not been able to plan and it does get in the way. And I hate it, well, but I suppose if it's there, then it's convenient and you will use it. And if it's not there, the you have that to plan. 
It's like, Why oh, don't you use it once every two months? Well, we could do. Could keep it. Could keep it and just and the pay twelve to pay the twelve pound fifty every time we use it, and that that is an option because that's a real descent, you know, a disincentive because that little journey is going to cost you twelve pound fifty. But obviously, that's not really helping the uh, you know the, the the environmental cause. So I'm thinking of maybe trial of six months without a car. That is a good. It's a good point though. But imagine if you you were using it once every month, say, and paying the twelve pound fifty. I wonder whether your emissions would be any higher than somebody using a ULES compliant car every day. I don't know. Yeah, it's one no. of those, isn't it? It's one of those sort well, of tough ones, really. But you can also get into the whole "oh, my battery's dead, smash it up." You know what I mean? If you're not used it for two months, the battery is going to die. Then, then all of a sudden, you've got a problem of you know recharging it and stuff. Um, I prefer to go all in, Matt, and think: Can we live our life without a car? And we should be able to. To, to Loz's point, I mean. The older girls now, they, they generally make their own way around, or they can do. And all the other clubs, either, you know, they're at school, swimming's down the road, it's a 10-minute walk, you know, dance stuff that Otley does, you know, 10 minutes walk or 50, you know, 10, 15 minutes walk. So, yeah, I mean, all those things are ticked off at the moment. And if you need, if you need to be, we get the bus. I, I take the ice skating every Sunday in Stratton. We get the bus it's the end of our road, takes straight to the to Stratton Ice Rink. This time last year, I had a, a major problem with the car. Um, I think I was without it for six weeks, right? So couldn't have it at all. And obviously you're forced then to completely change what you do. And at that point, Senna was struggling quite a lot and we were using the car more than we would we would like to do. And uh, so, we, But we couldn't. And after, a, I don't know, Three or four days, you adapt. And then after four weeks, we'd kind of completely changed things around. And we would just, you know, changed our routines entirely. And when I got the car back, I thought, oh, do I really want to carry on using this? And of course, you get back into the habit again. So I think I'm kind of with you. I think if you can go all in, you just go all in and just just do it. And then, do you know what? If you realize after a few months that you still need a car to do something, like you say, you hire it, you do the zip car thing, you just share or whatever you just it's i think the thing is it's it's owning a car that's sitting outside at the front door most of the time doing nothing that's the stupid that's the stupidity i think it's the car i don't think it's car even car usage it's more like car ownerships that's that's the same well, thing. well exactly. look back in 50 years time and think what well, everyone owned these bits of metal that sat outside their houses and that's, that's insane time. yeah that's yeah. In, especially living in a city that's kind of insane well, the whole uh, model is yeah. reshifting because we actually spoke to our neighbours who are quite into being progressive. They're quite into sort of environmental causes. And we discussed, well, Emma discussed them about, you know, shared ownership between them. The yeah, well, that, does, that doesn't happen enough. That's, that's a really no. interesting option. Why don't we yeah. share a car? They're, they're, they said they've got completely different car usage patterns to us, whereby we were generally using ours at the weekend or to go away, you know, at half term. They, they were using theirs more in the daytime related to work. So the, the challenge you've got, though, is when it comes to insurance or who, who owns the car and if there's a penalty, all that sort of stuff, which the current sort of system is not set up for to have dual ownership. But really, you could probably, on our street, most of the cars are there parked outside, as you know, 95% of the time. You probably get away with about 10 cars for the whole street and, and no one will miss out. From a very London-centric point of view, that doesn't apply, obviously, anywhere in the suburbs, the country. So I'm just making that clear. 
<laughs> it's very, very, very complain. clear. Complain. <laughs> We're living in Wales without the car. But the thing is, you know, the um, I think you're right. The sort of shared ownership between sort of friends and neighbours isn't a thing yet. There's sort of no sort of legal status for it, is it? Is there? But um, is there a competitor to Zipcar? I can't think of one. You know how there's obviously all the bike schemes now and all the various scooter schemes. Why aren't there more shared ownership one, options yeah, apart yeah, from yeah. apart from Zip or Car Club? There's, they always have a car club parking space, don't they, on some of the roads? I can't think of one. So why maybe this doesn't? They just haven't energised the market yet, really. Because I, I prefer that that model really, where you. I've never done Zip. Share one. Done it? No, I've never really done it because it, it doesn't seem sort of quick and easy to do. You think, oh, I'll just do I've that. I'll just go outside. You've done it, have you? I've done Zip Man a few times. Does it work? Yeah. It's pretty. You have an app. It's the usual. You get your, you know, your pin code. You, you just, yeah, you flash your app on the screen, open locks the door. You get in it. You've got time. You pay for time, basically. Car um, clubs operating in London. Zip go on, car, how many? Go Enterprise on. This, is li- li- this is live research. So this is live what? research. Go on. T- Turo. Never heard of Turo. No. Uh, kayak. Car. Well, that night, actually, maybe no, that's, just rental, so that's just car yeah. rental, isn't it? So it's nothing. Yeah, I don't have a model of shared ownership. Do you know why they've, prob- they've probably done the research and realised that you know car ownership is a status thing and no one, no one wants to do it? Hire car is the best alternative to zip car. Oh, that's the H I Y A hire car. Hi yeah, hi yeah. There you, you go. Like them, I mean, cars. Look at the, the marketing of cars. And you know, people love their cars. That you know, their car sometimes yeah. is their main thing. It's a bit like you know, loves his bike. He loves his bike. Some people mm. love their car. Well, and you know, right, it's status, mm. but it's, all, it's always promoted as being a, you know, empowering oh, yeah. you, your freedom. You look good. The intelligent man driving the Audi or the you know, the Land Rover, whatever it is, it's very much targeted to that, and people get attached to it. And the thing and is, I, and that, I get it. That... You see a nice car, and it and it's like, wow, this is nice. But also, that is the same thing that is now for electric cars, isn't it? It's exactly the same way they're advertised and promoted. It's the, the, it, it might have the, oh, I'm doing a bit because it's electric, but still, it's still promoted in the same way as your own freedoms and kind of, you know, you and your car and status, yeah. when actually you're still owning a lump of metal. That isn't, yes, it might give you some... We're being cheap again, aren't we? Yeah. Because it's like electrification of the of cars rather than fewer cars, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's gone yeah. down that route. And they seem to me, anyway, to be bigger, heavier, you know, bulkier. Still, still going to make yeah. the damn things. And, uh, yeah, with probably, I don't know whether it's more engineering, but all the sort of creature comforts of all the diesel and, and petrol cars, we haven't really come up with new designs for vehicles i think we talked about this before haven't we if bmw have come up with a, an alternative you know somewhere between the bike and the car uh it would be a great opportunity to have a design competition to think about different different things that you that you need what different bar. huh <laughs> the, bar. The, car, the, bar. the bike bar. and the car the bar <laughs> well yeah automated car with built-in bar that would have been that'd be perfect wouldn't it it's uh well, are you feeling? I mean, the thing is, you know, there's there's apparently a war on motorists at, at the moment. So are you feeling under attack? You know, are you feel whenever you whenever you do drive, because uh, no. aren't we all under attack at the moment? No, but I mean, God, I mean, getting back in the car and driving back from from Bath through London. Oh my God, it made me realise I just do not enjoy it. I mean, just stuck in traffic. I wanted to get out and get on the bike and just zoom through it all. You know that is a is a real feeling of frustration. 
And you can understand why people get angry just being stuck in traffic. So maybe there is a, a war on motors. They're just digging the roads up to stop cars moving. The thing is, what they all fail to realise, and I'm, you know, when I do it, I'm, I'm, I'm it. Uh, they are the problem. It is they are fighting amongst themselves because there's, there's just too many people on the roads, aren't there? That's the way it is, you know. And uh, if you're in a traffic jam, you are, you are the traffic jam. You have contributed to, yeah. uh, to what, the traffic jam. Now are, they're all. I mean, especially in America, but I think to certainly in this country, everything is car centric, isn't it? Where you shop. You know, and they go complain about the high street, sort of like no one goes to the high street. Well, they've introduced you know, parking laws there. You can't take your car in there anymore. That's because, yeah, anyway, yada, yada, yada. It goes on and on and on. Well, actually, you're better off being on your bike, aren't you, Matt? You are. As much as you can, uh, you're better off being on your bike, yes. Anyway, I'll let you know and what it... I decide to do. Although I did say well, the first time I got in the car when I drove to Bath, my youngest daughter said, it's so nice and exciting to be back in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so did you say Emma's for or against? Oh, she wants to keep the car, yeah. She wants to keep she, it, right. She wants a new one. <laughs> she wants two. I love this. I love this. So, so Stu introduces this. I'll be th- I've been thinking about, you know, um, getting rid of the car completely. And then Emma not only wants to keep the car, she wants a brand new car. So I love- Well, yeah, do I scrap? That's the next do question. Yes, no. I've got scrap green. I've got the green light to scrap. I'll get more money for scrapping it than I will. I've got got the green light. If I I do scrap it, then I've got got this period of, you know, how long without a car. Maybe I just buy a tiny little, you know, like a small polo or something. Could you string it out a bit and just say, well, I'm just doing my research, you know, I've got to find out what what the right option is for us, you know, just got to keep looking, looking for the deals and things. Just see how long you can go for. Anyway, is that the car podcast over? Yeah. So uh, that's the car podcast. Let's park it there. Come on. <laughs> right, should we move on? Now, look, in the last episode, uh, we weren't here, Stu. We did talk extensively about Jumbo Visma and, uh, and the Vuelta. We vented about the Vuelta and the fact they had three, uh, three of them on the top of the podium. And now we find out that there was the harmony that we debated was, was truly there between the three, uh, the three of them, Rog. Bing the Merciless and uh, what do we call him? Puss in Boots? Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots. Who eventually won the Vuelta, obviously. And uh, now Rog's off. He's off. Get we don't know where yet. Off, we... <laughs> so Rog is off. Apparently, I think the latest uh, rumour is Bora. That was, he was so to good Bora. at go, wasn't he? He was, definitely, he was nailed on after his performance in the Vuelta where he, he basically, he quite interestingly just became a bit of a different character, but he could just, maybe he knew anyway, it was just going to happen. Well, I think so. the, what people have said on unrivaled podcasts uh, that are associated with cycling, that they, what happened at the Vuelta had nothing to do with it because it was, this was always on the cards. I'm not so sure. I think he, he thought, well, I was definitely the named rider for this and now I've missed the chance to win a grand tour and I'm, I'm definitely going. Yeah. Well, or he was, yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? We'll never know. But the big question is, would he, is he the sort of rider that's going to be able to do enough of a, another team? And maybe he is, actually. Maybe he is got enough about him still, a couple of years left. You know, it could be quite interesting him going to, going to Bora is an interesting one because there's quite a few decent riders at Bora that could be around him. He's, uh, what is he, 33? So he could do 
three or four years, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's looked very and he good, in, and he came into it late as well. Yeah, he came into it late, and he he's looked very good in the in the sort of Italian one day races. Didn't he? He won. I forgot the name of it. He won a few days ago. He was uh, second today, I think, in the one. I, I can't remember what it was called. Um, Pog, Pog was looking good in that as well. So I, I yeah, I think he's. I think he's. I think he'll. Yeah, he'll be a, a team leader, and I think he's got more Grand Tours in him. I think he wants to go to the Tour next year. I mean, if we have Rog, Pog, Remco next year, that and uh, and Ving. All, all on different teams. All on mm. different teams. That could be uh, an incredible uh, Tour de France, couldn't it? Um, so I think that would be something definitely, some, definitely something to look forward to. How does it work with the you know with riders? If they want to leave a team. Is it like football, or is it completely different? It's it's He's more, contra- more movement. There's more movement because the contracts are shorter. I think the isn't the transfer date the first of August. It's always after the mm. um, Tour de France, so they tend to find that contracts are negotiated around that time, but then riders tend to stay until the end of the season. Um, he's got one more year on his contract. I think it finishes 2024 anyway. So I, I, I suppose he was looking to negotiate or renegotiate or look for look for a better deal. So, but he's yeah, there's a lot before, more movement. There's a lot more movement between teams, I think. But he's left before his contract finished. Yeah, a year to go. So how does that work then? Does he has he broken the contract? Has he been bought out of the contract? Uh, I presume whichever team he's going to, and they haven't revealed it yet, has had to buy him out of the contract as well. Yeah, buy out right. the last it year. Works. It works in a s- similar way, I suppose, in terms of yeah. football. Sell that, sell that player, make money out of it. Well, the interesting one about that change, you see, because now there's—I don't know if you picked this up, Loz, on the news uh, around the last couple of days—the the merger. A lot of the um, Sudel Quickstep. Uh, riders are not happy about it at all, apparently. And they're sort of saying, we didn't want this. So the work basically uh, won the name of the race that I can't remember to, yeah. today um, from Zudon Quickstep. Adam Phillips said it was sad. Yeah, sad I, I said it, yeah. They, it. So Lefebvre maybe hasn't played, hasn't done that well in communicating it to the riders. The reason I'm saying this, Stu, is that Remco, obviously the, the sort of the big name at Sudal Quickstep, is on a massive long-term contract. And there was rumour, obviously, about him going to Ineos or other teams. But I wonder if they could afford to do that because they have to buy him out of you know a huge a huge contract, and that might prevent him from leaving. But I can't see him being on the same team as Ving and Roglic, but obviously Ving now as well. I just I just can't see that really. So um, and obviously Jumbo would keep Ving the merciless, and then I wonder where Remco might end up, whether it's um, Ineos or, or somewhere else. Ineos is the only team you can afford him, definitely. What are you looking up? Then? I'm actually looking at. Sorry, this is live transfer looking update news. Have we have we, have we moved on from from that? Because because bit of news that I didn't hear or notice is that uh, well, I suppose Cavendish has retired, and so it's saying that he's out of Astana. But there's always that rumor flying around that they were trying to extend his contract, weren't they? Because he definitely. Well, I thought they'd signed not... they'd signed Morku, hadn't they? They'd signed his lead well, out man. Maybe they're just still talking to him. It's not not signed up yet. So I was talking about Rog. Um, leaving uh, Yumbo for, for Destination Unknown. But there are some other people, aren't there? There's a departing stage left completely. I suppose the biggest one of those is um, Peter Saga, and it's no more pedalling for Peter now. It's a, uh, is he, I don't I don't think, is he riding Il Lombardia at the weekend? I'm not sure he is. I think he's now, no, he's he's now he's finished. Lost. He's gone. Yeah, he should have. He's not been much for two years, three years. 
It's funny, isn't it? Because it's been a while. he was—it's been a while. But I was—I have a real soft spot for him because I, I suppose I've only been watching professional cycling for as long, really, as he's been a professional rider, or you know, as long as he's been in in the limelight. And uh, we talked about the kids earlier. Ruben absolutely adored him when he first started uh, cycling down at the velodrome in particular, and also watching the Tour de France and watching him win three world championships in a row, which I still find absolutely extraordinary. Um, he always seemed to be in the rainbow jersey. And I just used to, we were talk, we talked to the podcast before about how when you watch a race with Cav in it or with Remco in it, you take a bit more interest. I think when Sagan was always in, in the sprint or doing things, it always seemed a more exciting race. But over the last couple of years, he's been really non-existent. It's been a real shame to sort of finish in this way, isn't it? He hasn't really had that last hurrah at all. And he's sort of, he's sort of left with well, a, never, a whimper, he, really. A little bit. I mean, like you say, the three world championships were absolutely incredible. The 2016 Flanders ride when he just blasted off the front. There was also the, the um, what do you call it, Paris-Roubaix when he went with 50k to go and blasted off the front. And, you know, there's, He's been sensational, but the argument is, is he one of the greatest? Because he probably didn't win as much as he should have done. He had those perennial second places that went on and on and on and on and on. Where he could never, he was always top three, top four, second places and just couldn't get a win. Yeah. And then he finally had that period where he, he did win a lot, but really, has he won enough for, for he how always could get over, he could have been? Yeah, he could always get over the climbs, couldn't he? But then he could. He wasn't quite quick enough in the sprints. That Paris-Roubaix one was extraordinary because wasn't that the year when he won Flanders and then they said that he could never go long and he went long and he won it. He went at fifty k and they never thought he'd hold on and he did. That was an absolutely brilliant performance. The one thing, one that jumps out for me when he won the World Championships in Virginia and he unclipped. His cleat came out as he was on the final climb and they were chasing him down and he was so calm and cool. He managed to get back in and then finish off, finish off the climb. That was re- absolutely amazing. It was Virginia, wasn't it? Not Virginia, I don't think. It was Come on, Richmond? Help me Richmond? Richmond, 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 Virginia, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I just know it's Richmond. It was Richmond. That one, that world championship, that was the one. I think that was the first one he won. And yeah, unclipping with the pack bearing down on him, and he managed to get his cleat back in and finish it off. That was uh, was amazing. But I used to love I love watching him. He had that moment, didn't he, at the start of his career when did he pinch uh, podium girls' bum or he, he, he sort of leered a bit? A bit yeah. And... yeah, he did do the, the awful thing of, of uh, doing that. And uh, but yeah, he actually ended up supposedly learning quite quickly from that, and he, he did change. Supposedly changed his attitude. Um, Stu, what any thoughts on uh, on Sagan? I mean, I was yeah, I didn't know he did that, which is a bit of a shame. But uh, I always liked him as a character. He was always good in the interviews. After um, he brought something else to it, didn't he? You got to remember, he did win quite a few. How many tour? How many tour? Tour de France stages? About twelve. He won. Yeah, he won the green jersey several times. Didn't he? he did. He won the green jersey. I think three times. So you know, and also. That's during a period when there were some good riders out there, some hot competition. Same, I mean, to me, I always associate him with, with uh, the same period as Cavendish. He was always going to head to head with Cavendish as well. So, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's dangerously close there to Stu. To very, very good analysis again. It's uh, it's quite worrying for the for this podcast. But you, you're right. He, I think he was in he in Cavs pomp. Uh, Saga was always there, and I, yeah. I think that they had some you know green jersey battles, didn't they? 
Um, they did. He made it interesting. I say he was a nice guy, he, and he was different to, to Cavendish, wasn't he? As well, in terms of his his approach, I think. Um, but he is going, isn't he? Going off to do mountain biking, which is where he started out in the first place. Oh, so it's not he, he tried that the last few uh, the few last few seasons. He was trying to do that. So it'd be interesting to see him just go off and do that. Solely. It's yeah. like Valverde, isn't it? Because Valverde is now 147 years old, and uh, he was retiring, and then he's gone off and done gravel. Riding. Yeah, so, never completely retire, though, do they? I mean, how old is he? Come on, do a quick check. So, Sargon is only yes, 34. 33. Correct. Did you say Rog's 33? Yeah, Rog is 33. Yeah. I suppose different sort of rider, isn't it? That's the thing. So, 33. He can't win sprints. So therefore, he's off to do different sort of riding, maybe. Um, How old's Cav? Thirty-eight. Oh, there you go. You can't do sprints. Thirty-eight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Come on, Sagan. What have you been doing? Pull your bloody finger out. Well, that's the thing. It's it's like, why is he just? Yeah, exactly. He has just fallen off a cliff or something. He has. You know. He has just disappeared. Yeah. Oh, I've I've gone off him now. He was a little bit shit, really, wasn't he? Maybe he wants to do other things, which is totally fair enough. <laughs> now, can I can I mention this to you two guys? It's October, and doesn't doesn't the Tour de France route get announced this month? I think Probably. it does. Probably, yeah. How would we know? Because that that sounds like we stop coming up with stop coming up with real facts, Stu. <laughs> well, I just suddenly thought I remember doing a spreadsheet about this a while ago. I checked it up, and yeah, it does. It's October. It's announced, so we should keep an eye out for that. Well, is this because you, you know, how is your planning going for our, uh, our well, trip? I've done it and planned it, done the questionnaire, got some feedback. We'll have to, we'll have to relive this and get it up and remind ourselves of the, uh, the data and the insight. Commitment. We, did, we, did, we definitely declare that we do the tour rather than the no, Vuelta then? No, we no, no, nothing's ah, been declared. We right. just, we, we got, did a questionnaire to find out what sort of tour people would like to do and how they'd like to get there. I seem to recall someone filling the questionnaire out saying, how would you want to get there? And someone won't drive. <laughs> what? Anyway. Uh, yeah. Why not? We like cars. <laughs> yeah. Are, are we flying? Uh, <laughs> train. Uh, the other, there is train. another option next year. Yes. We talked about this last time, Stu. Go on, Oz. There's the uh, Olympic road race on Paris. Which actually, hold on, is it in Paris? Did we decide? Is yes. It Paris? <laughs> it's, it's not finishing on Les Avenue oh, Anglais. No, that's the Tour de France. Oh. It's finishing in Nice on La Pro- Promenade des Anglais, where Cav will win his 35th stage. Yeah. <laughs> Age 39. <sighs> yeah, so that's another option. So, yeah. That's the Olympics. That's going to be busy, though, isn't it? But that'll be obviously later. That'll come. That'll come after the tour. Mm. Anyway, watch this space. So, chaps, should we uh, should we wrap it up there? Nothing else to say. Bye bye. Bye bye.